I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. And I'm loving every second, minute, hour, bigger, better, stronger, power. <laughs> well, that's a professional musician wrote that, Justin Bieber. And boy, he crafts the best songs. He's the Dylan of our generation, I think. And if it's what I said huffing and puffing after making it to the top of the subway stairs at 63rd and Lex, then this must be Dale Radio. And I, of course, am your host, Dale Seaver, and you're listening to another episode of Some Things I Enjoy, coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Guanas. And uh, once again, I find my travels have taken me a little far from our dear little Gowanee. Uh, I'm sitting now in the offices over here, Creative Capital in Manhattan. And just as I draw so much of my own power from the best little polluted canal in Brooklyn, so do many artists draw from the great well of knowledge and inspiration uh, that is Creative Capital. And the person behind it all, and often out in front of it sometimes, I imagine, is my guest, the fantastic Ruby Lerner. Ruby, how are you? I am so good, and I am good, good, good myself, and I'm really happy to be here with you today, Dale. Well, I thought they were cleaning up that Gowanus Canal of yours. Well, it'll take a while. <laughs> they, they, they put the broom in it, just eats the handle. <laughs> I guess that's not clean. No, you got to have special tools for that and gloves. And You ever been down there? Uh, around there. Around yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in it. You've I went on a boat. I went right down it. Can you believe that? That's amazing. You know, we had a project that uh, was uh, located on the Gowanus Canal. One of our early grantees did a project around uh, the canal. Well, that's fair. I have to check it out. Yeah. And we'll talk more about creative capital as we go. Uh, <laughs> but I thank you for having me here in the offices. It's great to be here. I should just note for our listener, and I'll just this slightly, I'll, I'll, I'll let our listeners know that there may be some doorbells. There may be some dogs barking. That This is an active place. And people are always coming in, artists always seeking guidance from you, always coming in here. Uh, and so, but just stay tuned. None of that's been edited in. I'm not putting in any of the phone calls, the interruptions, that kind no. of thing. That's it's... just the kind of place. That it, you ever done a podcast before? Uh, no, I haven't. Ah, how about so, that? I'm excited. This is what it's like. This is, this is what it's like. It's just talking at a table. <laughs> It's my now happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. had a you. birthday recently. That was thank, thank you. you for uh, having you. I was invited over to the party. Very happy for you <laughs> to be nice. there. We had a nice crowd. It was a great way to eat an empanada. A great way to eat an empanada. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was fantastic. You have a good time. I had a great time. I, I hope had a you wonderful did. time. Yes, I didn't. I don't think I drank enough, but. Um, except for that, I think well, it was a, a great evening. Some of us did. <laughs> and <laughs> I should mention, good to hear. I'm, I'm pairing the podcast. I always say when I'm pairing the podcast, usually I have a little bit of whiskey sometimes, but this is kind of midday for me, so I'm having a little hot tea. Hot tea. A little of the Darjeeling, which I have not spiked, mm. um, though I'd like to. <laughs> so, uh, now you grew up in the South, is that right? That's correct. I'm from a little town in western North Carolina, uh, Lenore, North Carolina. I've never been there. Um, it's near the mountains, um, near the beautiful Western North Carolina mountains. So sure. it's close to uh, Blowing Rock and Boone, where Appalachian um, University is. And uh, uh, yes, I uh, I lived there until I went off to college. So very interesting. The most interesting thing about my town right now, there are two sort of interesting things. When I was growing up there, it was a furniture manufacturing hub, and um, ah. and uh, sadly. A lot of that industry, um, you know, left the country. Sure. But um, Google uh, built a server farm there, whatever uh -oh. that really is. Um, <laughs> and I've out. heard that I've heard that um, if you work there, you can't tell anybody that you work there, and that they do all these events for the community in the parking lot. 
Um, oh, but that's, um, that's what uh, they got a lot of money. So yeah, they can they got, do that. They can do that. They can do that kind of thing. But it's all very sort of hush hush and secretive. Did but they the at other, least uh, buy furniture from that area? Did I, they bring it back? I store? don't know. I mean, do you think server farms need that much furniture? I well, think it's I all. Don't, I guess you can just mill around a parking lot, and then it's just, <laughs> I think it's just one picnic fella, tables or something. Just one fella down there. <laughs> Somebody's got to turn the power on. Somebody's got to turn the power on. So I have no idea how many people they're employing or anything, but but that was an interesting development there. But the other thing that has happened that one of my old friends is involved in is that they are uh, farming sturgeon now there in the mountains. And yes, and they're they're uh, making a. Um, Russian-style caviar that doesn't really exist anywhere else in this country. So well, uh, who knew that that was going to happen in Lenore, North Carolina? So Lenore, that North you, Carolina. You, when next time you have caviar, Dale, it might have come from my hometown. Well, I'll be sure and think of you when I bite into it or do a Google search, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely, both of those. Both of those. I guess if you have an unusual farm idea, that's the place to go. That might be the place to go. And Beasts of the Southern Wild, that that was based on your life growing up? Yeah, right. No, not quite. Um, a I, further uh, south, I grew I think up. Yeah, it was, was a little further south. That was a little further south and a little bit more watery. Yes, that's what I gathered. Now, what, but what experiences uh, of growing up at that time in the south, what do you take with you? Because we and inform you still today. Well, actually, they're interestingly there are many things. My parents were um, European Jewish immigrants who settled in this very small town in Western North Carolina, so that was not that usual. So um, I had you know that sort of experience of being an outsider. And now when I talk to students, I say that is one of the things that you should actually. Uh, that's a gift you should give yourself. I, it wasn't much of a gift while I was going through it, but be difficult. Um, in yeah. in retrospect, I think it's a that's a very important experience to have. And I say to people who aren't naturally outsiders that they should put themselves in situations that will make them outsiders. So that's that's one big thing. The second thing is, for instance, you could start a podcast. You could start a podcast. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's that a would highway be to outsiders. A, exactly. <laughs> um, Fast track. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, that's one thing. And then the yeah. second thing is my parents owned a clothing store there. So I grew up really from the time I was six or seven years old uh, working. And so you learn a lot when you work retail. Sure. So I also say to young people, work retail at some point in your life because um, that really forces you to deal with the public in ways that uh, not only you might not have ever expected, but in ways you might not particularly enjoy. Um, but it teaches you a lot about um, about relationship building and uh, diplomacy. That's right. How to communicate How with to another communicate. person and, and problem solve creatively. Correct. Sometimes, but within the parameters of your, so you don't lose your job. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. That's, that's exactly right. And so you're in the clothing retail, you're doing that? I, no, I'm not now. No, but, no, uh, I'm not now. I, uh, you probably yes, like to I, get back I grew, into it. I grew up, I grew up in, that, in that business. So, well, that's yeah. terrific. I did a little bit of that myself, helping people. You did? Sure, yeah. I did a little bit of, uh, worked at a little frame place where people oh, would bring their framing yes, stuff. Yes. Boys wanted to frame a rug or something. We couldn't right. do that. So you had to say, well, I can't, I can't frame that rug. But that was interesting because people have, so you get to see what people are, investing money in it's always more than people want it to be right exactly exactly <laughs> can't do anything about that that's what it costs <laughs> i don't run the place but uh yeah the retailers that's a, that's a sell i you know so many young people write into me here at the show and i always tell them uh my advice especially if you're around if you want to be around creative people is uh hang out 
Just yes. just be around. Yes. Because if you're there after the show, you're, it's all about access, right? So you'll see the people that you want to see, and they'll, their chances are they're hungry. So go out to dinner with them. Absolutely. Not in a creepy way. I'm not yeah. saying that. I mean, you have to have some in, right. some, some way to do it. But if you volunteer your time and you're an intern at some place, then go to the go to the party and stick around. And then after that, they'll want to get drinks, and then it's just the artist, the director, it's whoever else is the principals. Right. And then you're getting access that few people you have. You are, and that you can learn a lot from those um for the, from those encounters, and I think um, uh, people don't take advantage of that nearly enough. Um, you know, it's this is the way communities get built, actually. Right. Not just so. Facebook likes and things. You right. got to be there. You have to be there. I mean, I think you know, physical presence, even in this, you know, mediated media age, um, there's nothing really more important than that. And that's why we're here together. And that's why we're here together <laughs> face today. To face. Well, I you know I grew up in Pennsylvania. And there, I think if I had to identify something that I took with me, it's kind of a, a respect of other people's things and a, a little bit of a nostalgia, uh, too, but that other people have their property in person, and one should respect that. And, uh, you know, we grew up a lot of, I grew up around a lot of flea markets. They have flea markets down there, see? And not the kind of stuff, not like socks and detergent, where you go to one of these Google parking lots and that's yeah. all they have. You think you're going to find something. But no, it's just boxes of Clorox. And so I don't even know how they do it. <laughs> Where they go into a store buying it and then reselling and then they resell it, I guess. It. That's crazy. I don't know. Well, right? I, may, I hope they didn't steal it. That's, that's, that, that's, that's probably another way to do it. <laughs> Although, I, they must have a lot of time. They but it might also be a nice opportunity for artists bringing it back to what you do. If they have some time during the day, go and buy some stuff at a discount, then resell it at one of these flea markets. I don't know. I don't run Creative Capital, but I have some <laughs> ideas for you. Thank so, you. Thank uh, you. Uh, now, you spent some early time, uh, as I did as a young person, uh, uh, around the footlights and, and in theater. Is that true? That is correct. How about that? I got very interested in it, and I bet my path was... Um, possibly a little bit different than yours. I had studied... I hope so. <laughs> I studied um, religion when I was in college, comparative religion. And, um, How did and, they compare? Um, well, it made me um, skeptical of all of them. I don't know that that was the goal of the study, but that's kind of what happened. But, uh, but I got interested in theater through religion because, of course, uh, you know, theater grew out of religious ritual. And sure. so it was a very, uh, and in some ways, a very organic and logical um, uh, evolution. Um, and I um, ended up uh, being in Chapel Hill. Um, I had gone there for uh, library school. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a librarian. Um, and uh, that didn't work out after about um, two weeks. Um, they had seating <laughs> charts, and they called on people in class, and I felt like I was back in the sixth grade, and I thought, I don't think I really belong here. Seems like it'd be so, too quiet for you. It was a little quiet. so That's a sleepy life sometimes. <laughs> so I love libraries. I still love libraries, and sure. uh, but I, I uh, withdrew from that program. That was traumatic because I'd never withdrawn from anything in my life before that. Um, and then I worked in Chapel Hill in the, in the local hospital there, the university hospital, and the patient accounting department. You're, um, you're finding all the hot spots, aren't you? I was finding all the hot spots. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, because I was a full-time employee of the university, I got to take free classes. That's a little tip I would give That's young people. Also, also so that was really tips. great. And so I started taking theater classes. 
And uh, one day, and I will say this is kind of the way things happened back then, one day one of the professors said to me, are you a graduate student here? And I said, no. And he said, well, you know, I think maybe you ought to be. And I said, okay. And then I applied to graduate school. So that you, was just... You just skipped the stuff in between? I just... Well, I well, what what stuff in between? <laughs> well, you were in the oh, you were going in the in the library. I was working in the library. Sure. I quit the library. You I quit kept my library. part-time job. Part-time job, part-time job, but, but still while going. Had you right. already completed no, I, your under? Yes, I completed my oh, undergraduate. Oh, I see. I see. They didn't just so, like, no, let no, you no, skip no. No, I'm not that smart. I didn't get elevated. <laughs> I well. already had my BA. So, um, so I ended up um, taking theater classes, and it was so exciting. And I ended up. Um, so my first adventure in really running something was running the graduate student part of the department. And, um, and I learned a lot from that experience. We um, uh, supported a lot of people, a lot of the graduate students and undergrads who were um, doing new productions of work um, every Thursday and Friday afternoon. And uh, part of my job was to build the audience for uh, you know, for those productions. And um, I would schlep my butt all over campus and talk to people in the English department. And I mean, I had all these great relationships with all these other, um, you know, other departments. And I would be tacking the posters up to the trees around campus and doing um, the work. Doing the work. Right. And, uh, you know, at a, at a very, very grassroots level. And um, I learned a lot from that experience about how, you know, going in and talking to people about, uh, what you're doing made them excited to get their students, um, you know, to come. Um, so that was one lesson. And then the other thing that was happening in Chapel Hill at that time was that there was a retirement, it was the beginnings of a retirement community there, which of course has just burgeoned um, uh, as it has in other university but communities. there at the dawn of it, it was really real. It was, it was happening, really, That was it? really <laughs> happening. It was the 70s and it was kind of an interesting time and there were these nice people. And they loved what we were doing. And this guy would come over every week to pick up his tickets for the next set of shows the next week. And mostly and, at that point in theatrical history, it's everybody's nude, right? Well, <laughs> I'm trying happening? to think how much nudity we had. There might have been a little bit, maybe a little, a little bit, bit. A little bit, but, um, the door. Uh, but, it was, but we were doing weird stuff. I would say sure. more than nude, weird. It was weird. So he would come in and he would say... Um, wow, that was really terrible last week. That show last week was really bad. What's happening this week? And I learned such an important lesson from that, that somebody could love what you were doing, what you were about, without actually having to love every single thing that you put out in the world. And that's been a really important lesson to me in telling the creative capital story, sure. too, right? I can say to people who might be interested in supporting us, you know, you're not going to love everything we support. But let me tell you about the ways that we work with artists over time. And you'll love enough of the work that we support that you're going to want to be involved with us, whether it's advising our artists or making a donation. And you embrace the philosophy of what you do. Embrace the philosophy. For those. And, uh, uh, you know, retail and theater, I mean, those are two solid, solid things to have in your back pocket as an Absolutely. experience because you are dealing with some, some, tr <laughs> some tricky devils in both of them. Who have some pretty uh, 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 opinions? Very <laughs> well because you just hit on the third thing that I um, tell people, particularly young people, is uh, take an acting class. Yeah. Um, because 
I had no idea that it would um, so directly impact the work that I've done for really most of my career. Um, but it gives you, whether whether you're in a play or not, it gives you what I call a kind of performance grace yeah. um, that's useful when you're speaking in public or whether you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone. I feel Absolutely. very... Uh, really grateful for all the things it taught me and and I think everyone should do it you should do it if you're going to be a lawyer you should do it if you're going to work in a restaurant you should do it no matter what uh, profession you're absolutely gives you a sense of collaborating with others to get something done to move something from one side to the other yeah it gives you a certain amount of as you said grace poise uh, presence you understand what it means to stand somewhere and deliver a line what it takes uh, and timing (laughs) of course uh, is important and to know that all those things are good and so I didn't know we were going to have so many valuable tips on this. I know. Well, so this is, this is the, <laughs> so the, far, this is the so day already good. of tip hour. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so uh, through that experience of running that theater then you got involved in uh, a kind of larger uh, arts administration which uh, is a field I don't know anything about, <laughs> of course, but I gather you have to work for nothing. You probably put up with a lot of, as we said, big personalities, and you're always asking people for money. So why would anybody seek that out? That's a really good question. Um, I think that it, it, it has some of the same satisfactions that you were just talking about because you are a facilitator, and you can help people realize their visions. Uh, and that is... When you see something go from an idea to being something real, whether it's on a stage or in a gallery, and you know that you helped it along its way, um, I don't know what's more gratifying than that. I don't think anything. So um, I really feel that the work I'm doing now and have done for most of my career, I still I consider it incredibly creative. Um, I think that organizations are really can be creative entities, and that we don't spend enough time helping people think about um, the the organization or the idea of organization as an extension of the creative process. And um, and I feel that if we were having those conversations, we would have many more interesting organizations out there than we have right now. Although it seems like that might be starting to happen. It's happening a little bit more. The, yeah, People are having to be... Uh, more, more organizationally savvy yes. to pull off some of the things that they're doing. I think that is absolutely right. And I think that uh, as we have more artists in, in sort of in control of their own careers and their own organizations, we'll see much more of this. We're starting to see it now. And um, this is a, an, a really interesting area when an artist decides to create an entity, to move from just being kind of a solo presence to understanding that they need to have help around them right. and surround themselves with, with people who have a different skill set. Well, increasingly, you have to be a brand, too. Sometimes that's a bad word, a but you really do have to... You whatever do. it is, even if the brand is to not be a brand, you have to manage that and take care of that in certain ways. You do. So do you miss performing, though? Did you get? Did you do some performing? I did. Um, and uh, you know what? I think... I don't think I miss it because um, I'm not... Uh, not necessarily a, uh, a performer in what I do, but I u- because I'm using all, all of those the all the same skills. muscles, right? I, I feel like I I get to exercise that that you know personal uh, creativity, but I do have a couple of very good stage names that I would like oh, to yeah. share. Oh yes, please do. So the first one is Blanche. 
d'Almond. Mm. I, I, I think well, that's what, a, was Blanche, what was Blanche all about? <laughs> well, uh, my uh, partner at that time was Alabaster White. <laughs> and so you can see that we were going for the pale thing. Yes. But, but, you know, the idea of Blanched Almonds, I don't know. There was just something about that. Blanched <laughs> right. And then the other name. It was like that an I, heiress to a great nut farm. Co- correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so. Now in ruins. She's come back. Yeah. Blanched almond. So I have you. I did. I have used that name in uh-huh. the past. Um, in, 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 the show, in the show, the review. I did. I used it. In the the show. musical review. Uh, <laughs> I had some walk-on role somewhere, and I I didn't want people to know it was me, so I I used the name. Um, and then the second name, uh, which I'm also quite fond of, uh, Rosie Scenario. Rosie Scenario is pretty good. Pretty good. You ever use that for if you're checking in a hotel? <laughs> I have not. I have not had uh, the need to use a pseudonym checking into the hotel, yeah. but but you know you never know when right. an opportunity might well, arise. I've, I've never gotten involved with alter egos, but that sounds. <laughs> and so there's a third. What's the third? No, one? that was those are oh, the those, two. You don't need a third when you. No, those are so good. And those are scenario yeah. I like. Yeah, she sounds like somebody I'd like to be <laughs> be around. <laughs> And uh, so uh, you got... Maybe I'll work on that in the next interview you do, you could do with Rosie. (laughs) Oh boy, layers. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go meta. Uh, Okay, let's let's see what can happen. But now, uh, so how'd you get to New York? You're down there, you're you're bopping around, you're you're running organizations. And then, first of all, how did you... What was your first experience with New York? Oh my gosh. My first experience with New York, I think, was when I was five years old. And it was, yes, it was um, my uh, parents would come up. We had relatives here, but my parents would come up for, um, you know, clothing uh, buying um, expeditions. And so occasionally um, I would come and we would take the train up. Uh, we stopped in Hickory, North Carolina, not too far from us, and we take the train all the way up to um, New York. And I think you might know that I travel by train now. You still do, yes. I and have um, uh, and so I always think about those early um, experiences and how romantic um, that seemed um, at the time. And so that was my uh, my first trips were when I was five and seven years old. And I so I always thought New York was a magical place, and I was never. Um, afraid of it, um, I I just always was was uh, stimulated by it. And were you going to the garment district? What yeah, I was to... going to the garment dr- district with my father. And then later, you know, when I would come uh, in college, I had a roommate who was from Long Island, and so we spent a lot of time here in the city, going to shows and you know having dinner with her parents and everything. All that all that great sounds, sort of sounds terrific New York experience. And so um, I guess I'd always loved it and. Um, it just seemed there in the mid seventies, mid late seventies, like um, a great place to to come. So I ended up I ended up here, um, and I ended up uh, eventually uh, working at the Manhattan Theater Club. I think I was their first audience development director mm-hmm. there, um, and um, it was an amazing time in the city. Then it was an amazing time for theater because performance art was just kind of like you know, coming into its news, own, wasn't coming it? into its own. Yes, I mean it had been around, but this was sort of when it exploded. And I was going to Soho to some loft, you know, almost every weekend to see something. See Bob um, Wilson uh, bopping up and down on a plank or something. Well, um, I remember seeing Einstein on the Beach, the original version. I think just right when I uh, arrived. But I had friends from North Carolina who were very involved with. Um, 
uh, Christopher Knowles, the, the sure. young um, artist that uh, Wilson had worked with, or, or worked with, and I think maybe maybe still, still, still does. does. They've got yeah, a project so, now, I think. Yeah, and, uh, and so there was just a whole sort of downtown scene, and I was kind of on the periphery of all that because of my friends. Um, I And that initial yeah. seeing of Einstein on the beach, did it blow your mind? Were you... Were you, were you, uh, you know, I had obstructed set. seating. And so... What does it, that it, mean? Well, I, I think I didn't see about three quarters of what actually went on. So <laughs> oh, obstructed. Obstructed. I thought you said yeah. instructed. Oh, no, no, obstructed. <laughs> so the truth is that it didn't actually blow my mind So there are 20 minutes all. of just uh, boop, 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 people counting. Yes. Yeah. Well, I liked all that. Yeah. One, 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 two, 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 two. Yeah. But I can't say I understood what was what it was or what was going on. And um, I probably ought to go try to see it again sometime. Maybe oh, yeah. I, it would uh, resonate in a different way. It, it could. It could. <laughs> I saw it recently. Oh, you did? It takes a long time for that light to go up to the top. Uh-huh. And after you spent 20 minutes, you think, well, I got it. And then it turns over and you think, oh, no. See, I don't it remember just, seeing any of that. Well, I'm telling well, you, I was in a corner somewhere. Well, I don't know what I saw. Well, but. That's okay. That might be a good way to see it. But that must have been exciting. <laughs> oh, it was exciting. Oh, it was so exciting it. to be around all that. I had... Um, there was a, a friend who had a loft uh, near the West Side Highway, and I had friends who were choreographers who were doing dances on the West Side Highway that we would look at from, from the loft. And, you know, it was a magical, magical time That's here. That's the dream, looking out of a loft to watch some dance thing going on. On the highway. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, that was a, a, a very exciting, uh, a vibrant moment here. I remember seeing uh, a couple of the Spalding Gray pieces um especially the rumstick road piece right, sure. which was that for me it more much so very much more than einstein on the beach that was um transformative for me i um i was so um uh moved and affected by that and you think you know wow that's theater that's what theater can be that theater can be that very direct very direct very personal very personal emotional uh, visceral, and physically, and funny. and funny, but but physically, that the physicality of um, of the piece, um, everything about it was for me just was magic. Physicality. He's in the chair most of the time. Right? He's in the chair, but I don't know. I'm going to tell you this image, and I think maybe you'll remember it. Um, one of the actresses, I guess, who was sort of loosely portraying his his mother, had very very long hair, and there's a point in the piece where she. Um, leans over and her hair like like this her hair is just touching the floor and it's um, she doesn't stop and so what starts out as this very beautiful kind of beautiful gesture you know became incredibly self-punishing and uh, and became almost impossible to keep your eyes open and watch it Hmm. Um, seems spooky to me yes it was spooky, yeah, and I think that was that was the point, you know, is that it started out as one thing and then became something much more troubling, like like life, like <laughs> sometimes like life. Some yes. of us pull out of it, but yeah, you know, other others not so much. But and so and what happened then? You you you're living a fabulous life in New York. Hanging and, out at and, Reno Sweeney's at the bar. The bartender used to make me special drinks. It was, was really great. Spe- what was the drink? Oh God, what was the drink he used to make me? A golden Cadillac. Oh, my goodness. 
What's in that? About 18 different alcohols. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's that's a regret. That's, <laughs> that's, what, I, that's what I call you that. You will break. want one. Yeah, that's a regret. Yeah. That's right. Whenever somebody says, here, I made this for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's another tip to young artists out there. Yeah. Don't take it. Don't, don't take it. So we'll fast forward a little bit because yes. then Creative Capital got, yeah. got going and you got roped in. Or were you there? As it, Were you saying this needs to happen? Well, I was part of a lot of conversations that happened, a number of them, when the National Endowment for the Arts was no longer able to support most artists, um, individual artist projects. And there were meetings convened and there were conferences and there were, me you know, there were just endless conclaves discussing because what should we do, what should we do. Up to that point, they had been supporting individual artists with grants and things. That's and correct. A variety of ways. And then they just said stop because yes. things got a little too hot. Yes. They, they backed off. Of it. They backed off. And yeah. this, and, and I think when they backed off, it became so apparent that the, the private sector had basically um, abdicated to the, the public sector all along and just hadn't really been at the table in a, in a really deep way this with the support of individual artists. I think the assumption had been, well, the, they're doing a great job down there in Washington and with all their regional programs. And, you know, we can support those, but we don't have to take responsibility ourselves for setting things up. When it fell away, it, the, the, you know, the absence became really um, uh, clear. And Arch Gillies, who was the president of the Warhol Foundation at the time, um, yeah. yes, um, is was was very. He he really felt that something needed to be done um, as the president of a foundation that would not have existed had it not been for the success of an individual artist. He felt it was appropriate for um, the Warhol Foundation to take a leadership role, and the board was incredibly supportive of him. They said, you know what. If you can find some some partners, some funding partners, we'll make a tentative commitment for a few years to see if this will fly. And so he traveled all over the country and he talked to anybody who'd let him in the door. And in the middle of all of that, he contacted me. I was running a national filmmakers organization here at the time. And, uh, and he asked me if I wanted to come invent this new thing. And... Uh, and I said, I was tongue-tied, which is rare, and I, I, I said yes. And so... Um, and that's what year? That would have been 97, actually. 97. We had that conversation, and we met toward the end of the year, and he sort of hired me on the spot, and then um, he spent 98 solidifying the money, and we opened the doors in January, right after New Year's in 99, and had our first grants out the door before the end of the year. And so, and uh, thank you for recounting that. I'm sure you may have said, have said those same things a few times. <laughs> so I appreciate that. But now since, uh, since 99, 97, whenever, and in, even given your, your uh, trajectory and history of, of seeing what artists need from lofts and dances on the highway, what has changed now versus maybe even, even then? What, have artists, uh, do they need something different now than they needed 15, 20 years ago? Or is it basically the same? No, it is, it's, I mean, look, they're basic things that I think uh, people need. And when we started out, we, we, our message was, you know, you are your own enterprise and you need uh, a skill set and uh, tools and information that parallel what an entrepreneur in 
the business world would be having access to or what a social entrepreneur would have access to. And we felt that the infrastructure to deliver that was pretty weak and that we were going to have to kind of invent that for the artists that we were supporting. And um, that was a message I don't think that had actually really, I don't know, I don't want to say it had never existed, but it was definitely not the prevalent um, message. And the idea that you were going to give people tools that would um, enable them to leave you stronger uh, than when they came to you um, was, again, not anything that people were really talking about. It's like, here's some money, go make the project, and here's a handshake, good luck. Right. Um, and you know to to invent no sustained something, commitment to them, right? Them. And to invent something that says, "Well, here's a little bit of money, and then come back to us and tell us what you've accomplished, and then we'll give you some more money to accomplish something else." Um, and the idea that we're going to benchmark this project with you, but that we're with you when once we join the journey, we're on this journey with you through the life of this project, and as it's turned out, beyond because. I think one of the things that we've found out is that, um, you know, people get to different points in their practice. And one of the things that we're seeing now that, of course, we couldn't possibly have envisioned in 1999 was that, you know, we've actually, and I'm thrilled about this, have helped people been able to be successful in their work. And now they need a different set of tools to learn how to manage their success mm. and different people around them. And those are conversations that we're just now starting to have with, with people and saying to them, you know, what kind of assistance do you have? And a lot of times people have almost no assistance, right? But sometimes they don't have the right kind of assistance. And one of our consultants talks about learning how to manage up and learning how to manage down. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you need a high level consultant to help you out and sometimes you need an you know basically a clerical person to help you you have to know when you need each kind of person and so we feel like now that's one of the newer things that we're having to help people with the other thing of course is that technology has really changed everything um i mean everything and so there's no you don't have a choice about whether you're going to engage with technology it's not possible to decide to be off the grid um, unless you want to just talk to yourself and a few of your close friends and that's fine sure. we think but, that's legitimate but somebody too. will take a video of you doing something and that's and, how you'll get it get known then that's how you get known <laughs> right. some way technology somebody's will enter interfere. right yeah. somebody's going to interfere and you're not going to be in control of that person who exactly. took the video exactly. so you want to be able to control that so I think that's another way that the world has just changed radically and the other thing that we recognized after about 10 years was that that because the world has become so much more complex and people are are um, so, there's so many more choices for how I can spend my time. I'm bombarded with emails. I'm bombarded with opportunities to go do stuff. I can't keep it straight. Um, I have what I call stimulus paralysis, right? Which is like, too much. there's too much stuff going on. I'm just going to go home and watch Hawaii Five-O. I mean, I can't make the it's decision. It's quality programming. It's good quality programming. It's true. It is. I love it. I love those boys. But, um, but you know, you, you um, have to understand how you're going to rise above the noise and um, so we realized that we needed to tailor the work that we were doing even more to help people be able to clearly identify 
who their constituencies are for um, for the work that they're doing because everybody wants to think that they're doing what they're doing for the general public. Here's what I say about the general public. The general public stays away in droves. There's nothing that most artists are doing that is really for a general public. It's for a subset. And sometimes you might be doing one piece that's for one subset and you might be doing something four months later that's for a different subset. Again, you have to know about all that. And you have to be the person taking responsibility for driving the car of your career. Right. And it's totally okay to speak to a segment of the audience Completely. and not, not have to go for the general. I it's think that often, often the, the goal is to get as many people as possible. i, I got to get tons of hits or whatever it is. But I tell you, that stuff that's getting tons of hits, it's like a drunk lady making an egg. That's what it that, is. That is exactly. Which is fine. I can watch that. I watch that at home, quite honestly. But, uh, you know, that's uh, that's okay. You just don't want to ask her for an egg white on. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But there's not anyway. That's fine if she wants to do that, and we support her in that. But uh, you don't always have to aim for the, the biggest audience. It doesn't always necessarily have to be the goal. Uh, right. You can speak and know your audience, speak to them, speak to them effectively, and there you go. Yes, and, and you know, there are some theorists now that um, if you look at Kevin Kelly's um, essay, A Thousand True Fans, in fact, he's positing that any artist who can, in fact, amass a, a support group of a thousand people uh, can live a very decent life as <laughs> yeah, an sure, artist sure. Um, if that is really a devoted community. I mean, these are people who will schlep across the tundra to see you. Um, and um, if you can put, he says, about a thousand of those people together, you can build a very nice life for yourself as an artist without having even to go outside of that group. I'm not saying that people shouldn't have ambitions beyond that, but, but I think um, to start, you need to know who you're speaking to right. and let that um, do, help you do the work of reaching people outside of that, that first little circle. And then how do you deal with compromise when you're at that level? Because I think once you are starting to talk to that many people, you're getting other people involved in it. By necess uh, Necessarily, you just have to involve other people. So that theater training, that retail of collaboration to get it there. But you're making compromises, whether it's a photographer choosing a, different, a certain shot or a videographer or an editor, whatever it is. So you have all these like accumulation of compromises that is necessary to get to that next level. So knowing how to manage that is probably pretty important. Well, and as haven't well. we seen a lot of if you? I mean, I think you know we wouldn't do it here because this is a genteel show. <laughs> but I think well, that we we know. I mean, you can just you know history and and art history is just littered with people who were very very exciting in their early years. I'm talking about all the arts now, yeah. and then who. Uh, became more popular, then they had they had to keep repeating themselves because that was their that was the marketplace that they had built and right. they don't ever uh, they're not allowed really to 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 artistically grow because they had to in a way commercially grow. Sure, I believe you can do both that you don't have to compromise that you can stay very true to your mission, but it does mean that you have a deep level of consciousness about how you are managing your work life and your career trajectory. Well, that sounds right to me. And that's what I'm gonna try and do too. And let's talk about some of the artists that you support, because I was up there uh, at the Creative Capital Retreat 
you know, once you get your name into a service agency for catering, it's hard to get out of it. And once they said that there was going to be a six-foot hoagie up in the dorms in the Berkshires, I said, well, okay, I'll get out there. <laughs> so I was on a break uh, after slicing up the hoagie and got out there. And I sat next to a lady who was making a, a uniform out of a, a corpse-eating fungus. And I had a piece of salami in my mouth at the time, which was not... <laughs> the most pleasant but uh, I mean how far off from art are we getting she's a grantee she receives some, some money uh, wh what's happening she's I mean it's okay if she reaches a thousand people <laughs> but beyond that I'm a little worried well you might be interested to know that she's reached uh, quite a few more than a thousand people because she was a featured speaker at um, uh, the TED Global Conference oh, sure. a, a, a year ago and uh, I think she's had like a million hits to her website now. I'm sure she is. Um, but so, she does realize the danger of releasing a, a, a <laughs> human body eating spore. I just want to be sure. She absolutely does. <laughs> um, you know, that project, is, you picked a great project because I think it's um, emblematic of, um, and, and a lot of the work we fund, of course, is very, very different from that. We fund yes, choreographers that, that and not, we fund, uh, you know, we fund uh, people who I would say are more normal. But um, <laughs> but we love that kind of work because it's very layered. Um, when she talks about this is um, someone who is making mushroom death suits. Um, these are um, suits like that a, are designed a green way to, to a be green buried. way to to uh, die basically, yes. and that uh, but you the wouldn't mushroom, be killed by it. Your body no, you wouldn't would be, be killed by it. No, it would help your body it's decompose. It's an alternate to, to being in a box and with the plastic with, and the, with, with with formaldehyde. Right. So formaldehyde is one of the most toxic chemicals we have. The incidence of cancer among uh, funeral workers, people who work in that industry, is like I don't know how many times more than the general public. It's a very very dangerous chemical um, and, and so does it get released into the ground yes and it pollutes the ground no, so it, so it, it, it does it has nothing to recommend I, mean, it. I want to look out for funeral workers but, but also <laughs> well we would like them to right yes and also there's the earth so we would we would like all this to be done in a more uh, you know more earth-friendly way yes. and a more people-friendly way so so this is a project that's very funny when you see her in this uh, mushroom death suit it's very funny when she talks about it it's very funny and she has created what she calls the decompaculture society so decomposing yes, society it. and she is herself and encourages all of us to become decomponauts um and um sign me up so uh you could sign up you can go to her website and you can become a decomponaut i know oh she would goodness. love that um, she would just love that. Um, but um, And she actually moved. She was living in Cambridge, Mass., and now she's in Oakland, and she moved because there's better foraging I, out in I, Oakland. I've been out there, and um, I know what she's talking about. There's better, better mushrooms out there. Um, but at the sense. end of the day, what she's really interested in doing is actually transforming an entire industry. So we love the idea that there are people who use humor in their work, um, who make you ask the question, is this art? What about this is art? Um, and they, at the end of the day, do have something that could be considered artistic output and are also looking at a major transformation. So those are that, that doesn't define all of the projects that we support, but, but there is a sort of subset. I think that for those, those projects that aren't so obvious, one of the things that, that we say to ourselves is, look, we might look at this, the world might look at this in 20 years and go, ooh, that was not really art. Or 
They might look at it in 20 years and say, this completely changed the course of art making in the 21st century. Right. Who knows? That's why you have to have people who are willing to take risks, artists who are willing to take risks, and people who are willing to support the risks that they're taking. And in the years since it got going, there's over 500 or something artists? Yes, 400 and some projects and 500 artists because some of the projects are collaborative, collaborative. projects. Yeah. And some of these people that you've worked with are well known to me. I've spent some awkward time with them. Reggie Watch. <laughs> yes. We, we recorded there's, some stuff together. Oh, you did? There's nothing but awkward time with Reggie. He's <laughs> oh, fantastic. He's And he's just skyrocketing. He's skyrocketing. And he has... Uh, uh, permeated the uh, comedy world in a way that, did you expect that to happen? No. Did I he mean, expect that to happen? Do you know? I, you know, he was just doing his crazy stuff and and I think the world kind of came to him. He A little bit of a man without a country there for he, doing what he was doing. I, it wasn't quite theater. It wasn't uh, it's something not, else. Right, it's not <laughs> normal stand-up. I mean, yeah. it, it's, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't even know how you would describe it. You really have to experience it. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't like anything else you have experienced. It's so singular and and um, and really so special. And when we got word that he was going on tour with um, Conan O'Brien before he launched his um, TBS show, mm -hmm. we were just you know we were so excited for him uh, to get have an incredible opportunity like that and to now have he to does be recognized. Every theme song for every podcast that's out there. He's everywhere. Isn't it great? Well, we love him. He got a great head of hair. Yeah. And Neil Medlin. Neil. Just coming on board. Just for you. coming on board. And oh my gosh, we are so excited. I have to be honest. I didn't know his work, but oh yeah, everybody that that had that saw him on our list was like, "This is the best decision you could have possibly made." Well, we are so jazzed by that. And he's doing a rapping on the ferry. Did you go out to see that at all? No. Champagne Jerry, he's out there. <laughs> he was just on the program recently. Oh, know, he yeah. really? Oh, yes, and he is also, he's the sweetest, sweetest sweet person. Guy. Sweet we had guy. dinner after that a little he, bit. And, yeah. Uh, boy, just as, as sweet as can sweet be. Sweet as can be. It's fascinating. He, uh, yeah. And of course, well, anyway, I could go through the whole list, but there's there's so many, so many greats. Patty Chang, of course. Oh, and, yes. and And as you said, there are people that are have arisen and people might know who they are some people that have risen within certain fields and they've all probably lifted their game to another level we whether think they so. become a household we, reggie right, watts kind right, of a thing exactly or, or i not. mean again that's only going to be a, a small subset but but it is again very joyous to um watch somebody go from either being not known at all uh to being pretty well known um i think about brent green who's a wonderful visual artist sure. who um, when we funded him and actually still was living in a barn in rural Pennsylvania, still lives in that barn. But, you know, he went from nobody's ever heard of him, nobody's ever seen his work to having something like an eight or nine page interview in Art in America, um, you know, four or five years later. So a lot of people going through the Sunday, through the film festival circuit as well. A lot of people. Yeah, exactly. So. All the great work that they do. Yes. And other things, too. Now, uh, just getting back to this one thing with the train traveling. Because yeah. you, you go out to Sundance, but I you do. take the train, mm -hmm. inspired by this early romantic notion. <laughs> I imagine well, it's not quite as romantic um, now. Oh, no. It? In some ways, it's it's more romantic, right? Because I'm more kind of conscious of what I'm experiencing. Who else is on the train? Oh, that's the best part. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea who you might meet on the train. I met Ben Folds on the train. <laughs> I met a, a physicist from the Fermi Labs on the train. Uh, I met a 
uh, somebody who's now a writer who um, had been an actress and we actually had a personal connection. Um, it was it was all it was crazy. So you all congregate in the yes, cafe car. You meet in the in the they have family style dining, so you never know who you're going to be seated beside. And um, there are just very very interesting people who travel by train and. Um, I was flying on 9-11, and so that was the point at which I decided to slow my life down. That's what really what did it. And I've always been a terrible flyer, and so I just um, I just thought, you know, well, maybe something's telling me to stay out of the air for a while. So um, I say that it's made me a, a different person because when you're flying over places, you're, you're really not thinking about the place. You're not thinking about the people who live in that place. Um, it doesn't and, feel as if you're doing anything. It could be just a, a sham. Yes. I always feel like I'm just in the noisy box, and then well, I get out, and I'm probably only five miles away from where I was. Right. That's right. Well, it, yes, <laughs> You don't have right. any real exactly. experience no. in going somewhere. No, you really don't. But when you get into a city, and you have to walk through it, or if you drive through it and get lost and understand how it works geographically, you get you, a sense of it. You do. And I think when you travel by train, you're confronted with, you know, I, I say America and all its sadness and all its glory. And... Um, you're just forced to ask questions that otherwise you wouldn't be asking. What's the best line to take? Oh, well, there, I think there are a lot of good lines. The one I take the most is the California Zephyr. And um, that leaves from Chicago and goes to Northern California. Mm -hmm. um, the Southwest Chief, which is the Southern California route, goes to L.A., is, um, is also really beautiful. Um, I have taken not quite as many times the Empire Builder, which goes to Seattle from Chicago. So Chicago is kind of the, mm -hmm. um, the hub there. And uh, that's a great train. And then the Coast Starlight that goes from Seattle down to San Diego. That'd be pretty, a nice ride. Pretty nice ride. That, that'd probably be the one I'll start with. You should start there. It's good. <laughs> I like to do. Sometimes, if I'm on the Amtrak, I take the regional. Yes. Down in northeast, uh, there down to Harrisburg, and I'll do a show in the cafe car. You will get some nice audiences out there. Is that? And, do uh, they? Um, uh, are they? Are they happy to see you in, at Amtrak? Sure, we get a nice show? crowd. I always tweet that I'm going to be there, and then, <laughs> and then um, people come. People can settle in for an Amtrak witch. And, uh, and go for it. <laughs> the Keystoner, I think, is what a Keystoner. But the Keystoner doesn't have a cafe car, so that makes it more complicated. Where do you not do all it? of them? Not all, all of them. them. At least yeah. uh, recently that's right. they haven't. I had think it. that's right. I think that's what it is. And the Acela is too fast. I fall over on people. <laughs> I've done that twice, and I'm not going to do that again. Uh, and uh, well, I won't ask you that one. But uh, I think because we've talked so much about good advice for people, yes. I don't need to. No, I was going to ask you if you have any advice for somebody starting a web series. Oh, <laughs> I think well, I don't think you need. I don't I've think you need we, any advice. You don't need any advice. You should stuff. be giving that advice. Well, and I have a little bit today, haven't I? And what what do you think at the end of the day sustains you to do this work? Me personally? Yes, you personally. I think really it is the um, constant gratification of of seeing what the artists are able to accomplish and our um, our kind of sometimes large role and sometimes very small role in, in that. Um, I was out at the Sundance Film Festival. One of our artists had work in one of the sections of the festival and um, she was there, so she was out there and she came rushing up to me and she said, um, I have something that I've been dying to tell you. I've been just dying to tell you. And I, I, I knew what it was. I said to her, you negotiated. 
(laughs) And I knew that she was going to tell me that, you know, she'd negotiate, I don't know, at her job or with her gallery or whatever it was. But I just knew that that's what she was going to say. She said, how did you know that? I I said, I don't know. You just have that look about you. Um, And so that even that was so gratifying that something she had learned through our process had given the courage for to her to sort of speak up for herself. And that's true. That is that's affirming. That's affirming. And it's great. And, you know, I think if you ever I mean, you have decades left in this, but if you ever decide to to walk away, I think there should be a farewell tour, kind of a whistle stop tour. (laughs) Take the take the Zephyr. And just stop, have little parties, dinner parties. You can be dressed like Miss Kitty or like Blanche de Almond. Have a nice big hoop skirt going down. I think that'd be real swell. I like that idea. See all the grantees and all the, the people. The whistle stop farewell whistle tour. Top, oh, yeah, that's whistle good. Whistle stop farewell tour. Do you think Amtrak would underwrite that tour? Let's approach them now. Let's approach them now. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what it's like, <laughs> isn't it? So that's, uh, well, uh, it's all terrific. That's fantastic. I really appreciate you doing this, uh, Thank Ruby. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope people can find out about Creative Capital online. Of course, creative-capital.org. Because if you don't put that dash in, you're going to be at a financial services company. And Which that's a, not us. Well, it's a different kind of skill <laughs> it's set. It's a different that, that, kind of... They might not offer you the same thing. But, uh, well, maybe sometime you can get that dash out of there and reclaim the domain. But for now, we put the dash in. Put the dash and you got some... Uh, you got you traveling anywhere soon? Uh, I'm close to home. Good, now. good. For a while, yeah. Good. Uh, that that gives you time to catch up on all the past episodes. Exactly. I need to go and, do that. Obviously. And of course, there's workshops all around the country all the time. Yes, because so, that's another thing we do. We've reached about six thousand artists now all over America in communities large and small, and not, not via the left. internet. <laughs> no, there are plenty left <laughs> uh, via the internet with um, skills building, career skills building workshops. Um, that's um, very, very exciting, and we're really proud of that work. So um, you can go on the website and see if we're coming to a community uh, near you or if there's a, a webinar you can participate in. I love webinars. I know. That's one thing I'm passionate about. It's webinars. Uh, and uh, any deadlines coming up? Well, next can... year we will uh, go year. back into grant-making mode. Early March we'll have a deadline for film and video artists and visual artists. Great. And people will, of course, find out about that online. To keep that's 2014. 2014. Boy, we'll have to we repost this to let people know about it. Thank you. That would be, be great. That's good. Well, uh, that's it. Thank you, Ruby. I got a little Thank bit of so business much. here at the end, but All you right. stay put, and that's okay. fine. But it was okay, right? You had yes, a nice time. I enjoyed it. All right. I could do this every week. <laughs> I'll come over. <laughs> we might have to have something other than tea. We'll get one of your, what do you call it? Golden Sunrise? Uh, Golden was? Cadillac. Golden Cadillac. Uh, so uh, here's, uh, this is new, brand new. This just happened before I came in here. Uh, I'm going to be a judge of something called Literary Deathmatch. That's uh, next Thursday uh, with a great bunch of people. I guess they read and then we judge them on who's the best or something. This is at Union Hall. Uh, Thursday, May 9th at 8.30 p.m. You can go to literarydeathmatch.com, I think it is, but we'll have it on the website. So I'm happy to be involved with that. And uh, Union Hall, of course, is the new home for Dale Radio, the live show, starting in September. We'll be up there Mondays at 8 p.m. once a a month. And so we also have the web series, uh, Spending Time With, which is now up on YouTube and, of course, on daleradio.com. So check that out. New episodes every two weeks. Next up, 
Sashir Zameda. Uh, she's a terrific young comedian with a complicated name, but she's just doing great. She was just on the TV last night. And anyhow, we got a few more in the pipeline. So, where's the Union? Um, Union Hall, uh, 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 Park Slope. Park Slope. Over there on Union, or just above Fifth Avenue or so. <laughs> uh, lovely place. And uh, that'll do it for us. Till next time, I'll be drying out my whiskey bottles to use as envelopes to send in my grant applications. Now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy. <laughs>